0: Welcome to We Dig Metal Evolution, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution documentary series, hosted by Nate Wilcox with Eugene S. Robinson of the art punk band Oxbow and entertainment lawyer Alexi Ald. Let It Roll is the insanely ambitious musical history podcast. We've covered the early history of rock and roll, country music in the 20th century, the rise of hip hop, disco, and electronic dance music, and now heavy metal. Stay tuned for our histories of Broadway, opera, punk rock, jazz, blues, and gospel. Follow the Letter Roll podcast on Twitter at LetItRollCast and check out our website at letterrollpodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com. Today, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi discuss new metal, the controversial mix of metal and hip-hop that gained immense popularity in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Email us at letterrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy.
1: It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to continue our discussion of Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution series that aired on VH1 a few years back. The eighth episode is called New Metal and covers the number of funk and hip-hop-influenced metal bands that emerged first out of the late 80s alternative metal scene and later became a full-blown subgenre in the 1990s and became painfully enormously successful, but we'll get to that. In a minute, do you guys, does somebody want to get something off their chest? Do we want to share our old man generational hate of new metal? Is well, that, I have that to that say,
2: way? I can't say old man because I'm younger than Fred Durst. And a lot of the people <laughs> in those groups are in my age range. Yeah. So it's yeah, not yeah. an age dynamic at all. I think it's uh, it could be a place in your life kind of dynamic. Because when all that stuff was hitting, I was in New York. I was around very good-looking, well-to-do women of all different walks of life.
3: When he was twenty-one, and I was
2: was going to the clubs, (laughs) so listening to music about breaking stuff and being frustrated at the world and mad at things, I I just couldn't relate. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you're old. I mean, I, I was in the same boat. I did not. Uh, twenty-five.
2: I, I was twenty-five years old. Yes, I was. Too I know, old. but this stuff was for
1: fifteen-year-olds.
2: Fred Durst that's, was that's, twenty-seven. 28. I don't care.
1: That, that's not who it was for. I mean, Mick Jagger <laughs> was the same age as Ed Ward, but Demi Page was the same age as Ed Ward. Ed Ward was too old to listen to Led Zeppelin until you know twenty-seventeen. It's it's just a recurring thing. I've been talking to guys in their thirties, twenties. They seem to like this this stuff. It seems like it's it's held up, and even like corn at the time, I think was pretty critically respected. I knew my nephew and, and different people that I
3: respected. Your, like oh, people. your nephew, your nephew liked it. Your, so
1: your that's nephew critical. said good musical taste. Your and, nephew, uh, the critic. <laughs> Critics. I mean, right, that's the thing. Like. There's nothing more useless than musical criticism. Like I it's just, it's it's it's. I, I used to believe, be a big believer. Oh, there's objective great art and blah blah blah, and 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 it will out. And I do think that some things are better than others. And the way you see it is that more people like them over time, and they also have influence on later generations of musicians. But Simon I Reynolds. Think He's an excellent writer, but he gets stuff wrong all the time. I just I just No, it is a matter a of, of
2: taste. It's all a matter of a taste, taste and perspective where you are the, in life. Uh, yes, yes. But just taste. I think taste because I think taste incorporates perspective and in where you are in life. It's just taste. And it was just yeah. not of my taste or like it.
3: I'm watching the, I'm watching this thing last night and I'm watching and I'm gonna watch it. And I'm like this the whole time. Until they started talking about woodstock ninety nine and bit by bit it started to be it was like the it was like a charlie brown christmas or or maybe the grinch you you see smiles starting to appear on my face and <laughs> and then I start to start to chuckle a bit, and, and by the time they showed shit burning down and just riotous and people, just, and th- at that point I was laughing, laughing like I've never laughed before. That was a wonderful. That was a that was a high point of the story as far as I'm it's, concerned.
1: It's like the old man when the kid's uh, ball gets gets knocked over the <laughs> fence <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> under the train. <laughs>
2: those kids will never play stickball again remember uh rushmore when bill murray was on the phone <laughs> with the guy and he was <laughs> like yeah yeah hold on for a second and he ran on the court and like stuffed the basketball from some <laughs> little kid he's like what you saying again <laughs>
1: Pretty much, exactly. I
2: out like, pow! Hold on for
1: a second. Yeah, well, I know, I, mean, I, mean, I do have are s- biases. But, but no, no, go no, no, ahead, no, no. Listen, listen, one listen, listen, point,
3: listen. listen. At, at one point, I'm I'm working at Code Magazine at the time, and so this is like '98, '99, and I get a PR package from Columbia Records, and it's two bands, uh, Cypress Hill, and uh, this band called Rage Against the Machine. And I, and I was distinctly, and this was the same kind of couple year period. I think I'd gotten you know, maybe a few years from the same PR person that sent me Pearl Jam. And was, I was which I had the first record I liked, tell you. Um, And I listened to Raging Instant Machine. And my fir- the first words out of my mouth were one of these guys is gonna send the bad brain some checks. And, um, you know, uh, we will not is uh, recast as fuck you. We won't do what you told me. I mean, that. okay. Um, but I didn't I didn't, I didn't I didn't, like it. But I finally mm-hmm. realized that um, in the same way that when that Klaus Kinsey released his autobiography, everybody said they were going to sue the fuck out of him if he released it and the publishing company. The publishing company goes, okay, okay. They buckle before it goes to court. They eviscerate the book. Eviscerate it. I mean, he was admitting the crimes in the book, so it's just as well. He eviscerated the book and then released it as kinski uncut (laughs) so when rage against the machine comes out and they're raging against the machine the first thing i thought was what machine are they raging against what the atm and then somebody goes oh you like them i go who they uh r-a-t-a i go they're sending you messages it's right in front of your face this is the takeover of corporate rock and that's why i hated it Mm-hmm. They were, at, at I think that
1: you're point, way off base on Rage Against the Machine. I liked I Rage Against the Machine. Them. I, I didn't pay attention, I but they've that. they've held up. They're very well regarded by younger kids, and that's okay. all oh, you can go by. Okay, okay. I mean, same like, co- like, same look, conversation
3: I had, same conversation I had about Fugazi versus Motley Crue is one I'm willing to have about Limp Biscuit versus Rage Against the Machine. I think Limp Biscuit is a much more honest band oh. than Rage Against the Machine.
1: So you're, you're saying that Motley Crue <laughs> is a more honest band than Fugazi? Easy, any day of the week, any and day of the week. That's fair enough, but it has nothing to do with it. But but let, let me make one point though, a bigger point.
3: No, that was series, a pretty major point.
1: That's, yeah, that's a, that's a good <laughs> argument, but but none of this crap is relevant to what I'm trying to do with the series. I, I don't <laughs> give a shit about personal taste. I don't care about my personal asked, taste. But you I asked. You asked I know. It. I know. But that's that's just to get your perspectives and. And to get sort of Lance that boil because I know any group of dudes in their 50s and 40s, like Lexi here, the youngster, is going to hate new metal. It's just a given. But it's like getting a bunch of Robert Criscow generation guys and then expecting them to have an intelligent conversation about Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. Never going to happen in a million Uh, years. There was this generational shift of people who were like, loved Dylan, loved The Stones, loved James Brown, uh, even uh, loved Cream. But then, and loved Hendrix. But then Led Zeppelin, and Black Sabbath came along, and they did not get it. They did uh, not like it. They could uh, tell you for the next forty years why it was terrible. And time, I think, has proven them wrong because generation yep. after generation, the next musicians came up and said, "You know who the greatest band on earth is? Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, uh, uh, uh. Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin." And and from I've been, you know, I'm just what, what I'm trying to do with this series because <laughs> musicians are hypnotists. And and most of the conversations about musicians or music or music history is, well, what hypnotist should I stand in front of and let them enthrall me? I'm trying to stand on the side and just try to get some objectivity, which is very difficult because it's a subjective experience. But I'm trying to get some objectivity, stand on the side and watch the hypnotist work the crowd. Mm, mm, and, mm. and trying to look at this stuff in objective stuff. And the only metrics you can get is, how popular were they? How big a cultural impact did they have? How much did people write about them, et cetera, et cetera? How often were they covered? How influential were they on the next wave of bands? And then also the story. And this is the thing where I especially hated Limp Biscuit. I mean, they just reeked of, God, this is the worst crap and this is awful. And Woodstock 99 was patently a disaster. But like Ted what? Joy is one of my favorite music writers, although I violently disagree with him about a lot of stuff. Who is but Ted Joya is a jazz writer, mm-hmm. but he had a book called music a Subversive history where he basically charted the whole history of music from the beginning of humanity. And talked about how there's this dichotomy or this inevitable battle between music when it's originally made and then music when it's contained and the Academy takes it over music, you know, gets wild and free and dangerous. And then the Academy takes it over and makes it safe again. And one of the things that he, he flagged as, you can tell when a genre has something going on, because there's a lot of death and violence involved, because music's innately dangerous. And, and when people are messing with this power, and it's magic, it, it affects human emotions in a way that musicians know. I mean, a really good musician, like listen to Pantera in this episode, they're talking about how we made the crowd respond with our riffs. It's, you know, so certain musicians know what they're doing more than others do. Some of them are just doing it intuitively, and some of them are pretty analytical about it. But the music is eerie. You should
3: should bring this up. I just spent a major segment of the show stomper talking about the three different ways of dealing with crowd violence as exhibited by Black Flag, Fugazi, and Oxbow. (laughs) You know, it's, 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 it's almost like, yeah, it's eerie that you should bring it up. So,
1: and so, When I watched this one after reading subversive History, Music of Subversive History and talking to Ted Joy about it, when I watched Fred Durst in this episode, I realized this kid was playing with powerful forces and Uh, he was doing uh, something that had been done successfully in the past that he did not pull off, which was he was trying to incorporate black arts into white society. He was trying to do what Elvis had done or what Bing Crosby had done. You know where you you take what the black folks are doing and you and you make it you just do at, it because you're a white guy and it makes it more palatable. I thought you were talking about people. something
2: satanic, the black art. So I was like, oh fuck the black. Oh, well, it oh is, black it people is black, shit.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, there is something satanic about it uh, black about people? this stuff. <laughs> Oh well, yeah, I mean the history of voodoo, etc., etc. You know, yeah, you Paul know. says that, that, it's that,
2: Haiti. That's right. They sold their soul to Haiti, the devil in order, order to yeah. free themselves from France. But I mean,
1: it's it's the <laughs> that's an interesting twist. You ever heard that it? One? But yeah, uh, yeah, of course I started. It. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was one of the first <laughs> racial scientists to discover that one. No, um... <laughs> but 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 there are these these forces that and 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 religious stuff and to me woodstock 99 shows that durst was playing with something powerful and he was trying to absorb hip-hop into rock and roll which failed rock and roll kind of became a dead genre hmm. you know it's still sort of sputtering along but and right at the same time eminem is is doing the same thing but on the hip-hop side of things and he didn't i guess he succeeded more so than fred durst
4: did um, oh
1: easy, easily yeah you know and it and and at least yeah, he didn't really. You still see disproportionately fewer white rappers than you would expect to see just because of the number of white people in America. Blah blah blah. But anyway, I just came around to thinking, wow, Fred Durst was messing with something. He was on to something. And it's not my place to say if Fred Durst's music was any good. I'm not. I wasn't listening closely. I wasn't a kid. I couldn't. You know, I I I didn't have any stakes. I didn't have anything on the table. I wasn't betting. I didn't care. You know, I wasn't into pop music anymore, so I could only look at it.
3: You you were listening to Kid Rock and you just didn't want to be bothered.
1: (laughs) And that's another glaring absence from this episode is Kid Rock really was part of this dynamic. And so was Insane Cloud Posse. But now that we've spent 15 minutes on assortment, let's try to to, do the history of what the episode does. And the episode starts with Anthrax and Scott Ian. And 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 ultimately, I kind of decided that Dunn is barking up the wrong tree here completely but i do think he's covering stuff that needs to be covered but he's trying to describe new metal as an attempt to merge hip-hop and metal Mm, and i think it's a lot more complicated than that um but if you're going to talk about the merger of hip-hop and metal obviously anthrax and public enemy bring the noise is a logical place to start he leaves out the the anthrax i'm the man single that came out in 87 which was them rapping Although with a band backing and, and kind of tongue in cheek, it was more like the Fat Boys or, or even a Sugar Hill Gang sort of parody. People couldn't even tell like are they just making fun of rap, are they actually into this?
3: But they were are New Yorkers. Sick, well. sick of it all with KRS One.
1: Yeah, well, that was a more collaboration the way that Anthrax. You know, mm-hmm, when, mm-hmm. when once Anthrax and Public Enemy are obviously collaborating, then then it's yeah. clear that you know they were down. And this was one of those things. Like I was a big hip hop fan. I was. A punk fan, kind of a metal fan, but this merger stuff—this is something I wanted to see because I knew enough about musical history to think, "Oh, wow!" You know, this is when stuff really mm. gets exciting—is when these different genres merge. And for me, from the minute "Bring the Ro- Bring the Noise" came out, this combined version, that whole road just seemed like a disastrous. You know, like I did not care for the Anthrax PE thing i love pe i kind of liked anthrax i love stormtroopers of death i like scott ian i just didn't like the singers in anthrax but you know my personal taste was "Eh, i don't think this kind of worked and then
3: biohazard and onyx right yeah same guy made the same guy made the videos drew stone who used to be in that hardcore band antidote so there was a lot of a lot of crossover that wasn't painfully obvious and I always felt that I felt, always felt the anthrax PE thing to be painfully obvious, you know. Not like yeah. what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean obvious? Nobody thought of it before. As it just, it was just, it was just, and
1: it wasn't ind- even a new song. That was another yeah. thing. If they had right. done, if they had collaborated on something new instead of yeah. doing sort of a recreation of a PE track with a yeah. band playing it instead of instead yeah. of the Bomb Squad, you know, yeah. which historically um, was an
2: issue is, with quickly with the issue historically was an issue with that hip hop music was dealing with which is i don't need a band i just need a dj and so when yeah. you go for years of like i don't need a band i need a dj i need a boombox to like oh we have a band now oh we're legitimate you know so that's yeah, the... yeah.
1: that that is but at the same time i mean run dmc added guitars really early on i mean rick to me this history would really start with rick rubin and run dmc and and bringing carrie king in to play on public enemy on their first album, you know, and, and and second album, and you know, she watched Channel Zero and stuff. Right, Public Enemy yeah, had already yeah, been yeah, doing this stuff, yeah. and and I saw Schoolie Day Schoolie D with a a, a rock band open up for Fishbone in '89. Um, you know, well, so it was he, just something.
3: He also borrowed uh, from Cashmere heavily,
1: right? Yeah, Wasn't yeah, it yeah. Borrowed? He he just did uh, did signify and, um, well, I can't remember Signifying Pimp, or I can't remember the name of that. what he called yeah. the track. It was a classic track, but he just rapped over over a version of cashmere. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, so, so so they start with that, then they go to Faith No More, which at the time didn't strike me as metal at all. I mean they had the metal guitar player there, but you know, they had the guy doing the bad rap and then a keyboard I know you're friends with Mike Patton. And Jeez. and and I actually listened to to um and you know they were one of those rare groups that that had a singer does two albums then replaces the singer and has a whole new another run kind of like two singers
3: or whatever. People don't remember. Two they were um, actually Courtney Love sang with them for 2 seconds and then there was another woman and then there was Chuck who just died and then there was Mike Patton.
1: Yeah. But they put out albums with two albums with Chuck or an album and a half with Chuck. Yeah. But then they have this massive MTV hit and that like, I, I think I had checked out their first EP, wasn't all that impressed, and then didn't even get to check out their, I guess, second album before that song was on MTV nonstop at a point when I was watching MTV all the time. And I didn't mind the song, but I didn't like it enough. I wasn't going to go buy the album. I was hearing
3: plenty of oh, it. But, but do you remember they immediately after that is when they went on tour with Metallica?
1: Yeah, yeah. But Metallica was, was moving too. away from, from metal at that point, you know? And that. You know, yeah. And I thought having faith no more was one of the tells that they were moving away from that because that was right around the time Monsters of Rock was going on, you know. And, yeah, yeah. and here's the thrash scene, and here's Metallica moving on, you know. And yeah. but it—I don't know. It was interesting to listen to the Faith No More album. I went back and listened to it, and 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 you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I would like to listen to it more. And it does seem like they were massively inf- influential on this next wave of bands. But it also brings us back to something that I keep harping on, which was this whole alternative metal scene that they skipped over entirely with Jane's Addiction, Fishbone, Living yeah, Color, yeah, yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. That, that was They told the story as if grunge just came along and slew the dragon, when actually there had been this whole sort of yeah. semi-diffuse movement. But this funk-punk metal thing was yeah. a big part of that. And Faith More was just one of those bands. And I, I, it's fine to me to use one band to stand in for a whole scene and, 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 you know, but Jane's Addiction with the Lollapalooza tour in particular was especially massive and important. And if they hadn't broken up when they did, I mean, they were primed to be Nirvana. There had been a number of bands that that had been in that spot and Jane's Addiction kind of was yet another one to abdicate. And, and to me, this whole scene is just a big void where the bad brains should have, could have, would have been. I mean, this was the, the Bad Brains could have ruled the world if they had signed with yep. Elektra in 83. At a, like yeah, Metallica. I don't know if that was the right move for them or not, but um, you know, had things that's, gone that's, different, that's if fine. they'd gone on tour with that, you too in 86,
3: you know, and signed I mean, with that was the, that's the most depressing chapter of hardcore music to me, you know, it's like That's yeah, one of them. I, what, what is it? It's a pretty major one. Was it? I always wanted to do a movie called "The Losers," and they had one last chance, and they blew it again and again. It's like you know, <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, you know, I mean, well, the, the, the Madonna, Madonna, Madonna tour, just
1: uh, yeah. That's the whole history of punk rock, though. From from the Velvet Underground to the MC Five to the New York Dolls to the Sex Pistols, that happened over and over and over again. Where you know, each band. You know the the consensus is people weren't ready for punk rock or people didn't want to hear punk rock. But when you actually look into the details case by case, MC5 mm. were going top twenty and sold a hundred thousand copies of their first album in, in a couple of months. Then they get themselves kicked off their record label and make this dramatic change and go new wave in nineteen seventy. You know and nobody wants to hear it. Plus they've got all this political bullshit going on. You know yeah, the New man. York Dolls, same thing. I mean they were. They were packing like arenas of 5,000 people in LA and Cleveland and Boston and, and Detroit. You know, and, and I I thought
3: I, I, thought, I thought I was a magician. And the Cro Mags, like I mentioned before, opened up for Motorhead, opened up for ACDC in Australia. And uh, I know both John Joseph and, and Harley. And I was talking to them on separate channels about other things completely unrelated. I think I interviewed John for some article I was writing in Harley. We were talking jujitsu. And I said, you know what? If anybody can put these guys back together, because all i could see was this table with huge amounts of money on it i just couldn't and uh and i ran into john joseph at some industry not even the same industry It's this corporate confab in jackson hole wyoming wyoming of all places and they were sitting there i <laughs> i just come out of the sauna had a terry cloth robe on and i was like you guys you gotta fucking squash this shit you gotta get back you God I got get Mayhew Paris Mayhew you guys is Doug Holland it's just it'll be you could do three months you could just make and he's like, I will never ever ever share a same physical space with Harley again I was like it just makes no sense it just an opportunity like away. me I just it makes it
2: makes no sense. To me. <laughs>
3: Seriously, yep, yep. you don't you don't know how much I would. Sw- if somebody was offering the kind of money they were offering to Chromex Whipping Boy, I.
2: Eugene, all you have to do, squash the beef. You, Ketus flea. <laughs> That's
1: what you got to do. Bring them back together. Get them get back together. That's the,
2: the three of you, baby. See.
1: <laughs> okay. What about forget Ketus? but Eugene replaces him?
3: Hmm? hmm. Well, but you remember Darren Paligro replaced uh who was the drummer that he replaced uh, jack
1: iron or he replaced the guy before jack irons
3: yeah i think he the guy before jack irons and he didn't last that long but i don't think it was because he was he had i think he just it was he had too much la i think is what happened
1: Uh, yeah well you know that can happen but back back to trying to summarize this and so then they um they talk about faith in the more. Then they go to Rage Against the Machine, and I get your knocks against Rage Against the Machine, but and, and they were after I had stopped following. Right, exactly
3: as I stopped following new stuff, they they came they just, along. They, they just but, found kind of gutless to me. That's all.
1: Uh, yeah, but I mean, they made a big impact, and they and a lot of uh, kids of that generation I like really them. were passionate about them. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think they were good. And Tom Morello, I think, was a genius. I mean, the stuff he was doing on guitar to imitate. A turntable, I thought was, you know, I didn't pay any attention to it at the time, but going back and, and looking at what he's doing, that was pretty cool stuff.
2: It wasn't. Yeah, Eugene, that was cool stuff.
3: <laughs> but... Yeah, the way the way he managed to
2: rob all that
3: money and just back the truck up to get them to ship. Them, Aren't you complaining pretty...
2: about I how people leave money on the back. table? <laughs> the guy finally <laughs> opens up the Brinks truck and now you have a beef. <laughs> ah, I don't
1: have but if be you want to spoil Reg against the machine for yourself, there's a couple songs if you listen to them where Cake stole, remember Cake, she's going uh, to the Distance. Sacram- they stole they stole the whole cadence from some Rage Against the Machine songs and you cannot unhear Cake when you listen um, to Rage Against the Machine and it's it's just you know. But be that dismay. Um you know, I, I think Rage is, is is a key band to be talking about in this, and Pantera is the other one I think that that fits in this.
3: Vibe. I thought that was a strange, a strange put, but I was happy to see them in there. Um, yeah, I mean, for, I mean, for a couple of re- for a couple of reasons. One is, and can actually really sing, uh, which is enjoyable for me, um, and he sings from uh, like I talked to the guy Shannon Wright from the Cows. And I said we we're just talking about some project we're gonna do, and he said, "You know what? I grew up listening to," and he grew up listening to all this like really weird Detroit R and B like shit that like like what? And you could it sort of makes sense when you kind of hear his voice. So Pantera, same. And Selmo was listening to some some stuff that I say barely exists on the edge of my consciousness, but it plays through his voice, you know. And then plus his commentary to Rollins will live on in my mind. as the greatest thing anybody ever said about <laughs>
1: Rollins. Except it's it's totally covering up the truth, which is he did steal his whole look from not just Rollins, but also A. McKay and the dude from Negative Approach. And that that whole beefy He just shaved his head.
3: head. head.
1: He, he swiped the whole hardcore singer ambiance. But it was a smart move. And I mean, yeah. Pantera's is one of the few bands that was – they came around at a time, and I'm from Texas. I know these guys. I dig these guys. I've seen them all throughout their career. Um, they they were at a time when you generally had to either be thrash or glam. They were kind of walking that line between the two. And then mm-hmm. they realized at a time when most of their peers did not that they had to get off this ship. And they mm-hmm. updated their sound and they updated their look. They swiped Helmet's whole thing, and I know you don't want to hear that, Eugene, but it's documented. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they the riff from from Unsung is is swiped by Pantera. Dimebag Daryl fessed up to it. I, I saw them at Helmet show. Yes, he did. I saw them at the Helmet show in Dallas when that happened around that time when Helmet came through because I saw I followed Helmet throughout their whole Texas tour and and Pantera was at their show. I mean, and that style of riffing became one of the key linchpins of 90s metal and Pantera were the ones who popularized it. And looking back, I see why Pantera succeeded where Helmet didn't. They had a persona, they had a story, they had better songs. But Helmet did invent that particular style of locking in the bass did, and guitar. Did you see that
3: so, Somebody had an online quiz, and they had 20 titles. I go, are these things a cop would say? Are these Pantera lyrics? <laughs> very close. Uh, Walk very on horse. Oh, well, well, that's a lyric.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but and 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 I did like the guy Terry Date, the producer, um, who mm. who called him Texas Swing meets Thrash, and I appreciated that because Texas music has always had a little bit more swing. Uh, yep. Whether it's country or metal, our, 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 our music's a little bit more rhythmically com- complicated because we're more of an ethnic mix than a lot of other places. Um, but then they don't even go into the Dimebag Daryl death and, and the nasty, yeah. nasty feuding that they fell into and everything. It's because they're just using Pantera as sort of a a point. Pantera's not the, the center of the story.
3: They're just pointing to where the story's going to go. Yeah, but, you know, like, I wish he would have his distaste would uh, Kind of stepped aside for him to because, like, Dunn, why do I, like, him, why, yeah. yeah, Sam Dunn, like, why do I feel okay about corn, but I don't feel as okay about limp biscuit, and why do I feel not okay about the deaf tones, even though I feel like I should feel like okay about the deaf tones? I mean, there's a and lot of you're mixed em- like
1: your taste in it,
3: yeah, exactly. There's a lot of no, mixed no, emotion, is. there's a lot of mixed yeah. emotion. This music you know i mean and and keep in mind i, I played a show with uh, chino and he's his whole family's backstage and he's super nice people he's a really nice guy but there was something irredeemably kind of la about him and i just was not mm. he was It's when he played with that the he played with, uh, what was his name? Nar- Nar- Narrows? The, the guys from, uh, Palms, Palms. The guys from ISIS had a follow-on band. They invited me to the show. And... I. Uh, a really nice guy so i'm i'm really this whole new like i'm really conflicted about new metal like i don't have any patience I at all so, say say lincoln park like I, okay i know the dude is dead and whatever but i just it's like i just don't it just seems like corporate surrender i just can't can't but like i feel okay about corn in in a in a way i feel if you if you had ran into a room with a gun say, eugene corn or nine inch nails I feel more okay about corn than I feel about Nine Inch Nails, you know.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that makes sense, but I think you're you're onto something with bringing in Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and White Zombie, because corn to me is more about bringing in the industrial and the hardcore punk metal yeah. bands than yeah. it is about the hip hop or the yeah. funk influence. I think that that that's part of what they were doing, mm-hmm. but the the vocals are clearly way influenced by nine inch nails and that whole i'm a trauma patient telling my story of child abuse and stuff that's very industrial that 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 whole line of thing is Mm -hmm. hardcore and and industrial much more so than hip-hop um and and i feel like corn morphs Corn doesn't morph into Slipknot, but Slipknot comes along and I think is kind of building on a lot of what Corn did. And I don't have any opinion about Slipknot beyond, whoa, that's freaky and weird. Um, and I haven't listened to it, but I'm curious about it. And it seems like the the younger metalheads that I respect seem to like Slipknot pretty well. But I feel Korn okay. About, universally th-
3: but this is the thing I feel okay about Slipknot, but then I look across the room at, uh, 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 it's just, that, just fast out of my head. Never mind.
1: <laughs> system of a down? Yes, system of a down. Of Thank a down. you.
3: I don't You're feel welcome. okay about it. Move down at all.
1: And I, I don't have any opinion on those. And again, I don't think our opinions on these are particularly interesting or important. I'm just trying to, what are the trends here and what do we see, you know? And mm. like, what can we see perspective? Alexis gave me the gas face on that one. But like, I, I think for think a lot of that,
2: I think for some of that new metal stuff, not the corn so much, but uh, Lincoln Park. It's when you say a corporate takeover, it's because it's polished, low talent rapping, high studio clean quality, sounding like a movie soundtrack or or a TV angsty soap opera soundtrack as opposed to it's missing. It goes back to the issue that I had with certain grunge groups as opposed to others. If it's not gritty, I mean, Eugene, you said heroin based in terms of the acts that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. the ones that I like, if there's, if there, if it's too clean cut and doesn't have enough of the blues and doesn't have just like just a certain kind of raw, rough, Yep. masculine energy behind if it's too whiny and too clean and I hate my parents and all it, yep. it just sounds too suburban. What do you call it? Mall core, right? It sounds yep. like yep. hot topic kind of music yep. as opposed yep. to yep. something that you walk down the street and you turn down the wrong uh corner, you're like, what the fuck neighborhood am I in? Like if if, yeah, if, yep, yep. if I feel too safe in the neighborhood, then it's you know yep. and I but feel even, like I can beat everybody up, then it's not a place but
1: that's <laughs> that's not violating the rule to me because even if we'd say we don't have any opinion about any of this we're just kind of looking at what happened from from the best we can see at third party from you know 20 years later linkin park is clearly the end of this genre and it's clearly it's sort of like the creed of this genre or something Mm. i mean it's clearly been polished been digested Yeah, even without having an opinion about the quality of their music, it's clear that they are the cleaned up... I like
2: Arms Wide Open
1: version of it. I, you know, I don't know any of their material. I, I was fascinated with, mildly fascinated, fascinated with the misspelling of Lincoln, but but that was about it. But we'll come back and we'll talk about Deftones and et cetera. But last two things I want to say. Corn from Sacramento. No, from Bakersfield. Deftones from Sacramento this is coming from central California, which is an area of the country that's been kind of underwrapped in music other than the Bakersfield country, scene of Merle Haggard and Buck Owens in the sixties. Um, so kind of interesting there. Um, Pantera was from Texas. Where was Faith No More from? San Francisco. They were from San Francisco. Okay. So, and then Rage Against the Machine was from LA. So um, definitely California Center of Gravity, this stuff. And we'll, we'll continue. Mar- with- was it Morello from
3: Boston? He's a Boston guy, wasn't he? Initially. I mean, yeah. he met those guys. Yeah. Some of those guys met at Harvard. And there,
1: and there's the authenticity points just took a, a big hit. EJ gets the, the but We'll continue this discussion <laughs> next time. <laughs>
4: Song and, and but I'm showing you that door. Rock on, out!
2: E.T. <laughs>
1: and we're back, continuing our discussion of new metal. Now, last time we got distracted with some foolishness, and I don't think we covered down tuning and turntables, which are the two instrumental distinctions of the new metal genre. Down tuning, which grunge down tune to D. Now, normal guitars in E, tune down a step. You've got D. You've got Soundgarden, Nirvana, etc. New metal took it several steps forward, f- further. Added string, got seventh string guitars, eight string guitars, five string basses, tuned down to C, B, sometimes A. So gave what um.
3: What Does the it just feel made. like the segment is really long, or is it really long?
2: <laughs> you know, when you were talking about tuning the guitars and adding it, I just in my mind I kept on hearing the rips from. Then Lizzie, the boys are back in town. Because like, well, they added two guitars. <laughs>
1: they they had the twin guitars in harmony, but not detuned. Those were, were regular, you know, the, the detuning is what the producer did called uh, that um, uh, it moves something in your guts. And it, you know, comes come across those subtonic frequencies. And then it's the close. turntable. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We know old people don't like new music played by younger people so we've established that and and i I also (laughs) want to revisit your rage against the machine thing like when when because that's exactly why rock criticism doesn't work if you mail out free copies of stuff to people back when content was physical and they listen to it once or twice and don't care about it either way it's you might as well just flip coins i mean Very few rock critics are any good at actually putting in the time to listen. But what it really takes is spending your own hard-earned money and listening to the thing a lot. And then that's when the consensus develops from people who've actually listened to this stuff. So it's no shame on you for missing the boat on
3: Rage Against the Machine, which you clearly did. Um, No, I listened to both them and Cypress Hill. And, and I just, in Columbia, I think it was a record label and all the stuff, the attendant, and they were just trying to get me to buy something I wasn't buying in regards to Rage Against the Machine. It's not like I was listening to MC5. It's not like I was listening to, you know, um, yeah, I mean, these guys weren't. Weren't revolutionaries, man. Just they weren't music. to
1: me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, lots. Of, they they sold millions of albums. They they are critically well regarded, and and I think it was the Rolling Stone best albums of the '90s pole, They're above your beloved Wu Tang Clan. So I don't feel like it's our place to decide because I haven't I haven't listened to this
3: stuff enough. You know, like oh, if, oh if wait, wait. you're trying to pull some act of ledger demand here, I don't really consider reaching Against the Machine new metal either. So
1: no they and I don't think the show is doing that but they are clearly a precursor of it they're one of the big funk metal bands and and to me the reason they're important is cuz they were the first one to sort of successfully incorporate hip hop elements into the the rock setup with rock instrumentation and that's where your bad brains comparison is such a whiff cuz they didn't they were Everybody was imitating the Bad Brains. I mean, you could say the same thing about Fishbone, Red Hot Chili Peppers, 24-7 Spies, Living mm. Color, Faith No More. That's
3: an entire genre. I would, I would never say that about them. Never at all. If you've ever seen the Bad Brains, those comparisons are not apt at all. There's all of those bands
1: were totally influenced by the Bad Brains. Every single one of those bands was absolutely
3: influenced by the Bad Brains. Said by I mean, a guy who hasn't seen the Bad Brains. Have you seen the Bad Brains? They're I never got to see
1: the Bad Brains. I've heard not, every Bad Brains album. I've heard lots, all of those bands, and they will acknowledge no, that no, they were all no. influenced by the Bad
3: Brains. I was influenced by the Bad Brains. Oxbow sounds nothing like the Bad Brains. Okay, <laughs> Ray, but bands Ray, that Ray
1: J- do sound like the Bad Brains were were influenced by the Bad Brains. You I think mean, the Red Hot
3: Chili Peppers sound like the Bad Brains?
1: The elements of it, yeah, they were doing their best. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the I've got.
2: I so, you know Eugene, you should have should now <laughs> instead of <laughs>
1: Yeah I mean it's not it's not about quality but it's like they were clearly trying to imitate aspects of what the bad brains were doing I mean that that hardcore intensity was what they were trying to bring to it and also elements you know uh, other elements I mean the, the bad brains mainly focused on on reggae type influences and jazz fusion stuff that you can hear all the way through there and the Chili Peppers were trying to bring in more of a George Clinton or Gap Band kind of thing into it. but Also, but, also known as funk. Yeah, funk and, and, and funk metal. But all those bands, that whole generation of alt metal bands were totally influenced by the Bad Brains.
3: I, I was influenced. Oxbow sounds nothing like, I mean, it doesn't, if you listen to Rage Against the Machine and you take the lyrics, at least to We Will Not, Oh, fuck froze again oh there we go Okay, I, I okay I'm back. and yeah, then you listen talking. to um we we won't do what you do you, we won't do what you tell us we won't do what you tell us i mean you can't tell me it's like i thought i was listening to we will not i thought I, I, it's like he sat down and i,
1: go, I mean that's okay. that's a pretty close swipe but most of their stuff is much more hip-hop cadences and rapping. So I mean, yeah. I, I mean, they were influenced by the Bad Brains. Everybody in their generation was influenced by the best band of the previous generation. That's not news, you know.
3: Well, I mean, I, I, th- I think what we're talking about is the functioning of the word "influenced by," right? Okay, that's what. We're, right. So I don't know what "influenced by" means to you. It means like when I hear Stevie Ray Vaughan, I can tell Stevie Ray Vaughan is influenced by Jimi Hendrix in my mind, he really sounds nothing like Jimi Hendrix. I could tell he liked Jimi Hendrix, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like Jimi Hendrix to me, right? But he was influenced by. I mean, I don't know. His cover of Little Wing was pretty clearly sounding awfully close to Hendrix. So that's a version of influenced by. Then there's Kingdom Come and their relationship to Led Zeppelin. That's bad influenced by, even though I'm a fan. I mean, that's just a copy. That's just a rip off.
2: What influenced uh, as, the kids to like new metal though, Nate?
3: What? Rip what, off is what, what I hear
2: what, when I hear a machine. What influenced the kids to like new metal?
1: What made kids like new yeah, metal? What
2: influenced them? Yeah, what kind of environment? What's going on at the times?
1: Well, I mean, the kids who liked it, especially corn and the early stuff, were totally trailer park kids, for, I mean, not solely. I was hearing about corn and tool from just the punk rock guys i knew like you know these are bands to watch but there was a ton of bands at that time and but the younger kids that i knew the ones that really bonded with corn and you know the juggalos that's that's Mm. that's that's a subset of of the people that were influenced which is different than the people that were into lint biscuit when they get when they got really popular and you can watch like going back and watching all of limp biscuits videos in order was really interesting to me because their first video is very much sort of like a baby corn it's set in in this sort of rough scary environment and the and the guitarist wes boylan is doing this sort of proto Marilyn manson type costume not at all like what he developed like the the mask persona he developed later but within two or three videos fred durst has I think he had the hat backwards the whole time, but they've got a whole brigade of young women with the red hats backwards that are lifting their shirts and flashing and doing the girls gone wild thing. They're having drop-ins from Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Eminem, and um, I think Weird Al Yankovic or some other weird (sighs) random celebrity popped in there. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Weird Al Yankovic, but anyway, it was clear that they became this MTV thing, and they got so big that you know. By the time they came along i wasn't playing in bands or going out to shows anymore at all i still couldn't avoid limp biscuit they became ubiquitous and were screamingly obnoxious um you know i just hated them without paying any attention to them you know i mean it was clear the guy was just everything that sucked about that era the whole girl girls gone wild frat boy late 90s clinton boom thing durst epitomized but now Going back and looking at this stuff with a little bit more distance and context, and especially did either of y'all see the Woodstock '99 documentary? Anybody? Anybody?
2: Years ago. No.
1: I mean, it's only been out for like a year
2: or whatever. Oh, you so said the documentary. I'm yeah, the about, documentary. Oh, okay. I saw documentaries about Woodstock '99.
1: Yeah, ago. Uh, yeah. This is the one Bill I Simmons did. from The Ringer did, okay. and they, you know, do a basic job, pretty good job of explaining, like. How grossly, I think, criminally negligent, I believe. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe that they not lost. I'm not trying to lawsuits. fame anybody. Yeah, I'm not, but my recollection is they might have lost some lawsuits because the ticket price was enormous. There was no ins and outs. You couldn't bring in your own food and water. Uh, the water was, I think, a dollar a bottle or maybe five dollars a bottle. The toilets um, didn't work.
2: So the fire festival was, for the fire festival. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And and you know, people rioted while Moby was playing. But you're not hearing anybody blaming Moby for this stuff. You know, <laughs> Fatboy Slim was setting off riots too. And you know, the documentary totally passes by Rage Against the Machine and and every other band that played. And and Durst's act definitely escalated the situation, but. I feel like he's getting a bit of a bad rap because it's ultimately the promoters that are that are liable and negligible. always, always. I mean, yeah, it's their job. They're the ones that are supposed to make sure you know people have enough water to drink and safe, yep. clean places to camp and and toilets that work and you know four <laughs> or five day festival <laughs> and the heat,
2: not and enough security. water. Yeah, and, and sec- security. Where's the fun yeah, of that? And-
1: I know, I know and <laughs> you know, but it it is definitely easier to 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 blame Durst and and but but, you but, know, but, clearly- but it's weird.
3: It's weird as you go through the names, how, how, what offends me and what doesn't offend me. It's like it's like Motley Crue versus Fugazi. Like when I see, hear or talk of Limp Bizkit, I don't really, I'm not super offended. They oh, are yeah. they are like their generation's Motley Crue, stupid guys who do stupid things and I don't expect much from them and they don't disappoint, right? Mm. And in actual fact, I like the rags to riches aspect that I've read their story and he pretty much does exactly what I would expect him to do in his position you know with no promise get that brass ring and you know whatever um it's like it's it's a guy and i like corn as well and i saw tool i saw tool in tijuana opening for rollins and i said those guys are great That's yeah, a great band so i don't but there's certain members of the new metal community that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way and fundamentally i liked okay. raging Against- and Rage Against the Machine's music, but I thought they were really dishonest. I didn't buy a single word that they fucking sang, not mm. a single one, you know? And um, so I think that they were phonies and the frauds. And I, you know, you could call them whatever you want to call them musically. And I understand, you know, Morello was doing interesting things with um, with his guitar. And I also look at Provenance and then I look at, okay, you couldn't really help the bad brains, right? I mean, they displayed themselves. You couldn't to being, save them from themselves. You couldn't say them from themselves, a- absolutely positively. The Beastie Boys tried. Madonna tried. Like, I mean, there's, there's, it's legion of numbers of people who tried tried to help. And just, you know, later it was revealed, of course, that HR had chemical imbalances and so on, which sort of, sort of makes sense. But the reality of it is I don't know that Rage Against the Machine put anybody on it. That was always my standard from punk rock in the day. I mean, at least as much as mm. I hate the Chili at least, they said to Darren at a certain point, Darren Poligro, who used to drum for the Dead Kennedys and now drums for them again, was like, hey, man, pulled him up out of San Francisco for a bit, had him drum. You know, he ends up, that didn't end up working out, from what I understand, because of LA problems. and <laughs> make of that what you would but they tried to like give back to the community and maybe raging against the machine is doing it in ways that i don't know you know but musically artistically given the nature of their robbery they really helped nobody else musically they might have been part of some what do you mean mean, musically like how did they not i mean like what i mean i mean what i mean what corn did with with limp biscuit that was that ha, was nailed. The, the
1: direct as far hand as up, yeah. That's that's the biggest. Yeah, but yeah. but musically, this whole scene. I mean, at least Dunn is arguing that Pantera plus Rage Against the Machine plus Faith No More equals new metal. That all these bands were were that those were three of the biggest influences on this whole next generation yeah, of, yeah. of metal. And so I, yeah, that's, that's where, fine.
3: I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to qualify my my distaste, and you know, say what you want about uh, Anselmo. The, he he has been uh, not given. We're not asking for handouts. He's been giving hands, you know. Corn, same. It's these guys that are the ladder pullers that I hate, mm. and then I hate. Th- then I hate their music, you know. That makes see, sense because I, I was
2: wondering. We say inauthentic and all this kind of stuff. I like what? I, it just was not, That was just not resonating with me. But when you, you know, when you're talking about specifically giving back to a community, being part of a community, being, you know, following up and having tremendous commercial success, and not, it, yeah. I totally. Get it. I think to a certain degree, like as a listener and a fan, you know, who's not a part of a scene or a part of, you know, who's not a musician, totally not be aware of any of that stuff going on. You just just notice the kind of superficial representational things that people say and the communities they're talking about without thinking about the community they're coming from. And I'm not talking about ethnically or racially, which is the kind of thing that drew me to them back in the day. Is the musician the music community? So it's it's a, yep. it's kind of a fascinating dynamic. I think is really fascinating in the sense that like this whole represent this ethnic, racial, uh, uh, mm. Marxist representation versus, but as musicians, you know, and 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 as someone that actually has commercially exploded, how have you given back? How are you looking out for your brothers? How are you looking yeah, out for your people? It's that's it's, well, a, it's they interesting. put themselves
1: in an impossible situation, much like the MC5 did by taking on this explicit advocacy of radical politics, yeah. that puts a big target on their back. Everybody sets these impossible standards for them to live up to. I mean, you know, if you're going to be the band that's talking about causes and and socialism and against capitalism, that sets a, a high level of expectations that's really hard to meet. And I haven't followed their career closely enough to have any idea if they helped people out or didn't help people out. I have no idea. They
2: why. protested the Democratic <laughs> Convention, which helped push them in.
3: Yeah, look, there's just there's just a lot of talk of we and us and us and yeah, we, yeah. And, and I don't see, you know. And there's another guy who he didn't come up in this segment, but uh, Vernon Reed is another guy. He's friends with my sister, and they played music together. But outside of that, that guy hasn't been full of a lot of we and us and we and we. It's usually about him and him and him. And, him and, he, and I mean, he's he founded the, the Black
1: Rock co- uh, Coalition and and did a ton to yeah. advocate for more really? space for black musicians. And, oh really? Get yeah, yeah, rock and roll. Yeah,
3: you, you know who tried to be out a member. You out know out? who tried, who tried to be a member of the Black Rock Coalition and was high-handed. Uh, any mm. Black Rock musicians you know that on the show? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's gone.
2: Like he a- disappeared. <laughs> Yeah. I think that hat, he there wasn't it. wearing a hat. You back scratched him into oblivion. <laughs> uh,
3: no, this is this is a, a shepherd's crook that helps helps with the back pain. But oh, you know, no. there he is. You uh, know, I don't
1: it with musicians.
2: Like, <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. So there you go. Now, now <laughs> this now
2: this is perfect. Now. I think this is perfect this is perfect for the new metal episode, what's been happening because it's like, no matter yeah, how yeah. much you try to write the ship, there's just something there. That's just not,
1: I have a big picture theory though, <laughs> as to why new metal gets so much hate. Why I is I totally hated this stuff in the nineties, three eleven, without really paying any attention to it, you know, but that was just my reaction was, boy, funk, you know, like yeah. I always thought that some kind of merger of metal and funk or, or metal and hip hop was an exciting thing that needed to be pursued and then as soon as people started pursuing it i was like mm, maybe not so much and yeah. and by the time you know limp biscuit was <laughs> up there with dj lethal on the on the turntable and everything i was just bowled over by how terrible i thought this was but in retrospect and i think that what really happened in new metal was they were the first generation of rock bands that were no when rock was no longer the thing Dr. Dre and Snoop Mm -hmm. killed rock and roll or dethroned rock and roll in 1993. They became it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. New Metal is having to go up against Biggie and Tupac, which is just an epic tale. I mean, you know, like nothing Mm -hmm. post-Cobain had rock and roll. And to this day, nothing since Cobain has magnetized the whole American culture the way Cobain did and the way rock and roll did before that for decades. And so, new metals in this impossible situation where they're competing with hip hop, I think in retrospect they were doing a lot of these bands were doing I think there were probably as many talented new metal bands and musicians as in any other scene, and that they were very open to new ideas in a way that metal had not been in a long time, mm. and that they're they're you know, I mean, you look at like Led Zeppelin or Blue Cheer or Black Sabbath or the Stooges, and these were bands that were just you know drinking at the fountain they were in the jazz they were in the blues they were in and you know classical music they were taking in all these influences from all these sources particularly african-american sources and then metal got more and more constrained until people bands like poison you know how many influences of poison have like six bands that they were just ripping off directly and and mm. you know and so new metal is kind of this much needed infusion of fresh ideas and and you know just a a real artistic freedom that people hadn't had but because they were the first generation of rockers to not be kings of the culture they are always going to feel like phonies to people who remember what rock and roll was like in the 70s and 80s and etc when rock and roll was it when rock and roll was totally dominant in the culture Uh, i mean uh... you know that's, what that's, I interi-
3: that's that's an interesting theory but they still suck so <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's see, but like, again this is like this is like a bunch of old people you know people that were sure, sure. Lawrence Welk fans talking about Led Zeppelin yeah. we are not qualified to judge this music you had to have been in that generation and you had to have put in yeah. the time listening to it if you were yeah. you know the stuff we grew up with like you know you in the 70s me in in the 80s Alexi in, in the 90s that we heard in high school whether we wanted to or not You know, like I can venture a pretty sound opinion on Quiet Riot because I had to hear that shit hundreds of times without wanting to. You know, Mm. I get in a car to get a ride home. Here's Quiet Riot. I get, you know, go to lunch with some friends. Hey, Quiet Riot's on the stereo. You know, I know that Quiet Riot tape back and forwards. There's no way for us, unless we, you know, were the rare people in their 30s that were. You know really hardcore fans of new music and i don't know many people that do that there's no way for us to really opine i mean it's it's and it's also to me the only way to judge bands is the most important thing is how influential were they on the next generation of bands so i think that's the most damning thing against glam metal is like you notice that none of these bands have any interest in in glam metal and i also find it interesting that these bands are much more influenced by faith no more by living color by jane's addiction by helmet that whole alt metal movement that really didn't get big shine clearly set the tone for the future much more than thrash metal did like thrash metal leads to death metal which kind of went nowhere i mean you know i enjoyed death metal i preferred black metal but you know death metal is something i did put in the time I don't think I, you know, it just painted itself into a corner. There's no melodies. There's no, you know, you can't hear what they're singing for the most part. A, a normal citizen yeah,
3: cannot I, tell. I, it's kind of what happened to jazz, right? When they started getting yeah. into freaking melodics and the audience was like, I'm sorry, I gotta go, you know? So,
1: to, to yeah. a large extent. Except, you know, if you read about Col- Ornette Coleman's bands, he was packing them in. I mean, when it was original
3: I, Ornette I, Coleman. I'm thinking. I'm thinking less about him and, and more, but who is that cat who just played the small, not just, he played the small venue uh, uh, in San Jose, and all these people came thinking that they were going to get ooh, smooth sounds of jazz. And uh, <laughs> his name in his second, and he comes out, and he's, you know, older black cat with his sacks, um, and he starts to play, and, uh, you know, it was scronk. To the it, it just they they couldn't after about forty minutes they just broke the audience people start filing out. But God, the other thing could...
1: though about free jazz and you're kind of repeating yeah. the old Stanley Crouch, Wynton Marsalis that stuff didn't mean anything. It didn't go
3: anywhere. It didn't. No, I did say I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a fan.
1: Yes, yeah, but it, and I, I I know you are, and I am too. But it also influenced Cream, Jimi Hendrix, The, the Stooges, MC Five. All of those yeah. bands would never have raged and and improvised as wildly as they did without Ornette Coleman. All of whom listened to Ornette Coleman a lot, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so this idea that free jazz—I mean—I think bop is more where jazz kind of became an art music, and there's virtues to that, but it no longer well, was a popular music. I,
3: I'm talking about pop versus not pop. You know, people packed yeah. out to see.
1: Yeah, and that was good. Yeah, that was Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie who sort of made it conscient. Conscious choice. We're going to make this art music because we're into what we're doing.
3: Yeah. If you listen to some of the live Thelonious Monk stuff, and and I mean, even with an expectation that the producer probably sweetened it between takes, it's like, it's clearly, I could tell crowd sounds, it's clearly fewer than 30 people listening. So I guess, oh,
1: well, you know, yeah. But I mean, yeah. you know, he was also way ahead of his time. But we, we're on a schedule here. We've already gone afield. Um, and so, you know, the show lays out the influences of new metal. Like Pantera and Rage Against the Machine, partly because I don't think they knew where to put them exactly. I think Pantera is still a really hard band to pigeonhole because they just became Pantera, and for a while they were basically the metal band that was out there. Like you know, in the early '90s, they were the biggest, most intense metal band going, and they were just kind of they were heavy metal there for a bit. And I think that the I really think this series, just like when with Hip Hop Evolution, could have used a whole episode on the Slick Rick era, that you know, post Africa bambata pre Run DMC era. This series could really have used an alt metal or funk metal episode. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, um, yeah, I just think people like Jane Jane Addiction and Living Color, etc. You know, deserve deserve yep. the shine um but so they, they they pigeonhole two bands out of that rage against the machine of faith no more into this episode they talk about corn which everybody agrees corn invented new metal corn is the definitive new metal thing they don't talk about to me like the thing about jonathan davis is to me and i haven't listened to him closely but i've heard a bit of it that it's not as hip-hop influenced as it is industrial influenced, that his vocal influences yeah, yeah, with yeah, the whispering yeah, and yeah. all that stuff yeah. is becoming more from, from Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and that whole thing, which, again, yeah, yeah. you could have a whole episode on Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, White Zombie, and Marilyn Manson. And they're going to talk about Marilyn Manson next time in the Shock Rock episode. And they're going to put Slipknot mm-hmm. in there, too. Slipknot, I think, would more rightly belong in a New Metal episode. And so then they talk about the Deftones who were initially associated with new Metal, but who consciously disassociated themselves with, from new Metal. They refused to tour with these guys. And, you know, the Deftones is one from talking to people that are younger than us are really highly respected and seem to be only getting more highly respected. And what surprised me was they were way into shoegaze like my bloody valentine mm. like when i listen to them yeah. i'm hearing tons of my bloody valentine and that kind of stuff and and that's what i've been impressed by going through and listening to playlists and skimming through the new metal stuff is they were throwing the kitchen sink at it there's all kinds of stuff that was open to it and it's so well, uh, different than glam metal well, which is uh, this totally constipated right really when strictly I, regulated set of things you could do and not
3: do when i met chino he was singing for palms and Palms was a group that he sort of initiated with the guys uh, from. With at least two thirds of the members of ISIS um, who were clearly, you know, um, that kind of very stately neurosis, like you know, I wouldn't call it shoegaze metal, but you know, thirteen-minute songs, and um, and so he initiated this, wanted wanted to sing for something like that, and I that was uh, I do not see fred durst doing that in a million years so
1: no no fred durst is a much more limited thing but again i think fred durst came the closest to overthrowing hip-hop if if he had come along in a different era like you know like when elvis presley came along no you know a couple years before elvis presley no black artist could get on the air or the radio at all you had people like georgia gibbs just hearing in a Laverne Baker song or a Ruth Brown song, ah, I don't even think it was it was Georgia Gibbs making these decisions, but the producers would just be, well, "Let's do that
3: song with Georgia Gibbs, and we'll take it to number
1: one." Sorry, Ed, Come
3: on. you know. Pat Bo- Pat Boone's 2 that, D that was, that was <laughs> exactly, was definitive. It, definitive. It
1: was it was definitive. It was the definitive Pat Boone version, you know. <laughs> and so when when Elvis came along, he opened a lot of doors. Little Richard credited Elvis, was like, he's the reason I got to be on TV, you know, because he was so shocking and everything else. But Elvis didn't have to go toe-to-toe with Jackie Wilson. He had this enormous advantage just because he was white and and was going to get that kind of media attention. By the time Fred Durst came along, he didn't have that big advantage, but still became so big. And I think was incorporating hip-hop, I think he was native to hip-hop. I think he grew up on hip-hop and he did it reasonably well yeah Yeah. and 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 i think west borland i was amazed at that guy that guy's a really good guitar player and he was doing all kinds of cool stuff that from you know sonic youth and fugazi i mean i was hearing stuff like from all over the place my bloody valentine all kinds of stuff the guy has his ears wide open and you know it's like you remember when stone roses and happy mondays came along and and it didn't have quite the same impact in the states but in england electronic music dance music yeah. had taken over the country and yep. the stone roses and happy Mondays were this sort of like attempt by rock musicians to incorporate that. And it was kind of like a war of the genres is, is EDM going to be the thing or is rock yeah. going to absorb EDM into it? Cause that's what rock did to folk. That's what rock did to jazz. I mean, rock had absorbed all these genres, you know, and been this, this omnivorous monster that just ate gobbled up everything until hip hop came along and hip hop overthrew it. And Durst is kind of this attempt by rock to steal that back. And I think that's playing with powerful forces. And I think that's why he's sort of this cursed figure in culture and hated so much. And if you look at their career path, you know, they got so big and then dived off. I mean, fell off a table, you know, just out. And it wasn't after Woodstock 99 that their next album was bigger than ever. It was, you know, they probably put out a really bad album. That's, you know, whenever I see a band that, <laughs> but, but that also, goes,
3: also, also let's, let's not, let's not forget the TMZ effect. Like Durst was appearing in lots of non-musical venues, just assing it up, you know? So
2: yeah. Yeah. He wore out his welcome. in multiple. And words. he was a record yeah. executive too. He was, was he? Yes, he was. They huh. gave him a nice, on what? they gave, no, they gave him a nice big job at the label really soon after he blew up. So, hmm uh, that was that's something that's always amazed me in terms of uh getting the keys to the kingdom so early on in your career but
3: huh yeah. no, more, and, no more no more bad tattooing
2: <laughs> yeah that was
1: a funny story about how he met Korn gave yeah. him a tape gave him a free tattoo that spelled horn instead of corn yeah. and we didn't even talk about linkin park which i knew nothing about other than that i had heard the name i'd seen the video and thought they were torpy looking kids but watching more videos and reading more about them these guys had a, a long run at the top they were enormously successful they sold sold more albums than the eagles they sold 70 million albums and they came along at a point when the music industry was selling more cds than it ever did before and it ever would again so you know it's not apples to apples but still they they did that they also produced a lot of their own stuff they directed their own videos they did their own graphic design like I mean, there's a whole lot more to Lincoln Park than I I thought I was, I was totally floored by that. And subsequent generations of musicians, it seems like they are the band out of this coterie that influenced the future the most. So I'm totally reassessing what, I mean, I hadn't put any thought into Lincoln Park before this, but I'm like, wow, these guys meet, check off every box to me of what is a significant or important band and Personal taste is not what this is about. I don't give a shit about my personal taste on this stuff. and I definitely don't care about you guys' personal taste on this stuff. To me, there's objective metrics you can look at. Album sales isn't definitive because tons of shitty bands that don't have any future impact sell a lot of records. But bands that have a long, sustained career, that have a big hand in their own (laughs) career like that, that control their own stuff, and then influence the future that way. What's so funny?
3: ah you don't know how much of a travail how much of a trial this new metal segment has been for i'll be so glad to get it a shot i don't think any other segment in this series will, has been a and why 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 is it so trying because i feel it to be of little merit you can say all you want about fucking record sales and about influences and it doesn't look you know I really like Leroy Neiman as a guy. I would never have a Leroy Neiman painting in my house, right?
2: Not of matter of like a nice
3: taste. And there you go. So there's your answer to why.
2: And timing.
1: <laughs> but again, I mean, this series shouldn't be about personal taste. We're, we're not, like most musical stuff. To me, musicians are hypnotists, right? They're magicians. Mm-hmm. They're trying to compel nice. your attention, take your emotions somewhere. And most music discussion is about which hypnotist should we sit in front of and be wowed by you know and, and how should we worship this amazing magician I'm trying to stand to the side and and be where I can see the tricks in the back and see mm-hmm. the crowd response and see which guys are good musicians not which is my favorite that's that's what I'm trying to do so I mean mm-hmm. hell I did an episode on um, uh, what's that terrible poet the worst poet of all time that was also the best selling poet of all time Rod McEwen did a whole episode on Rod McEwen. If if you think new metal is, is difficult and you didn't even do any homework, it's not like you've been sitting here listening to to to, to New Metal playlists for the last two weeks like I have. I mean like, I've had this crap in my head. You could tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean
3: That's not you.
1: Yeah, well that's you know what I'm what i doing. And, and that's I'm, and we're
2: glad you sketch. and glad you did that, Nate. Thank you, as we we put an end to this chapter of
1: Of metal. And we'll be back next time to talk about Shock Rock.
0: Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at letterrollpodcast.com. You might be surprised to hear that Eugene has subsequently revised his take on new metal and thanks Nate for changing his mind. More on that in future episodes. Next week, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi return to discuss shock rock, including Marilyn Manson, Slipknot, and more. Let it roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com.